Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name's Ali McMillan and I'm a Methodist deacon and I'm currently based at Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. I'm a member of the Methodist Diaconal Order, which is a religious order, uh, which helps to bring a sense of rhythm and wholeness to my life. Before I trained for ministry, I was a teacher. I taught secondary and sixth form levels, uh, religious education and ethics at a school in Oxfordshire. I'm really passionate about coming alongside people where they are and journeying with them as they discover God at work in their lives. Uh, each week, I'm joined by a different uh, guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today I'm really pleased to have with me the Reverend Steve Tinning. And Steve's going to be uh, taking over as host for just a, a few weeks. Uh, Steve, we're delighted that you're on as a guest today to share some of your wisdom and knowledge, but also that you're going to be hosting for a few weeks. I wonder if you just want to introduce yourself to everybody so they can get to know you. Yeah, thanks, Ali. As Ali said, my name's Steve Tinning. I'm a Baptist minister and currently living in South End on Sea in Essex. Um, but I work for the Baptist Union of Great Britain as their public issues enabler, which means I spend a good amount of my time in the company of, of other JPIT colleagues from the Methodist and URC Church and the Church of Scotland, of course. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's sort of who I am, where I am. I, in my heart, am I passionate? I'm a I'm an activist. I'm I, I, I believe in and, and focus my energy on practical theology. I, I love uh, a lot of community organising theory. I'm a real campaigner. Uh, I've got a real heart for uh, asylum seeker and refugee issues, as you'll hear about, I'm sure, today and in, in the weeks to come. Yeah, that's that's sort of that's sort of who I am at the moment. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, but also we look forward to uh, hearing your wisdom and sharing with guests over the next few weeks. Uh, we know that politics in the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic. Uh, hearing some of your passions, we hear that uh, perhaps some of that might come in. Uh, but we at JPIT, and you're part of JPIT, believe that the world around us speaks into churches. Uh, so when you hear people say that politics shouldn't form part of our preaching, I wonder how you respond to that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably a more common thing than you might realise. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners would, I imagine, be already on board with the idea that politics uh, and the pulpit should go side by side and hand in hand. But there are plenty of people. And, and I guess my first reaction is quite a personal one, because I've certainly been criticised for overemphasising politics and justice in my preaching, which, you know, I would refute. I'm just trying to do what this podcast is encouraging to look uh, for the ways that passages relate to our day-to-day -day lives and and especially the day-to-day -day lives of the most marginalized people you know politics is is the affairs of the city isn't it it's the stuff of our day-to-day -day, so how can you ignore that in the pulpit I think on a good day I think that those who would argue that politics have no place in the pulpit are, are coming from a place of fear um they're understandably worried that, you know, ministers and preachers might be going to stand up and advocate for a particular political party or a particular politician, which I would agree is 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 wholly wrong. Um, you know, some of my heroes in preaching, like Martin Luther King, never endorsed individual politicians from the pulpit, but he did preach the values of the kingdom of God and pointed out when those values were out of kilter with the values of, of modern day politicians and, and politics. But 
but uh, perhaps that's a very sympathetic interpretation on that stance. On another day, I'd say that I think some people are just uncomfortable with being faced with the reality that their faith and their politics might not be as aligned as they would like to think. And they like to keep those things separate because in their own lives, they like to compartmentalise their faith and their politics. And so they don't like that conflict. I, I imagine we'll be thinking about conflict quite a lot. Either way, I think preaching is a complete waste of breath if you're not preaching the values of the kingdom of God and pointing out how these values you know, should cause us to be salt and light and bring the message of the kingdom of love and compassion into a society whose values tend towards you know selfishness and and what's good for me so yeah I, I yeah I mean I'm waffling now but I I I find it very frustrating <laughs> as you can tell well you know I I think we can all um have him see with that first position of you know not wanting it to be party politics that being preached in pulpits um but I like that challenge um that you're, you're bringing in in what you're saying that actually if your politics and, and your faith aren't aligning, then you should be confronted. Yeah. And that's part of perhaps the preacher's job to just... Yeah. Well, hopefully. Thank you so much for that. Uh, well, each week I ask uh, J. Pitt colleagues for a little roundup of their expertise, what they think we might want to be keeping an eye on in the world this week. And some of their suggestions for us today are uh, the, that the new school year starts in most parts of England uh, with disruption for some caused by safety concerns about failing concrete in school buildings and warnings that hospitals and other public buildings might also be affected. That's obviously something in the news that's worrying a lot of people at the moment. A survey that has found that more children are expected to arrive at school this term with unclean clothes, unwashed hair and unbrushed teeth, according to teachers who observed a rise in hygiene poverty. And that uh, brings all sorts of um, potential issues that we might want to be aware of in our churches. And then there's uh, new books by former Prime Minister Theresa May and journalist Clive Myrie have put the Windrush scandal back on the spotlight. Uh, May saying that she regrets using the term hostile environment. And <laughs> for the Sorry, way keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to keep a straight face then, Steve. I, was just... I know, we'll come on to that, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, Myrie has revealed that one of his half-brothers was denied benefits and health care, uh, while another was unable to travel on his Jamaican passport, but neither has yet received compensation. So for, for many people, that is obviously something that's still really affecting their lives. Uh, and the G20 leaders meet in India this week uh, with frictions over approaches to the Ukraine war, and Chinese leader um, has made a decision not to attend uh, that meeting. So lots of things going on in the world, and um, we might pick up some other things as well. But Steve, I wonder, uh, from your context, from the things that you're passionate about, is there anything that you particularly would want us to hear as key justice issues or political events going on? I mean, I think that question is really interesting because there certainly are things that in my context and the things that I'm passionate about, there are certainly things that I would use and refer to in preaching this week whether they are the things that other people are passionate about and are relevant in their context is a different matter. So I would sort of take what I'm about to say with a bit of a pinch of salt and do your own analysis on your own context. And, you know, obviously um, I mentioned earlier that I'm passionate about the rights of asylum seekers and refugees. And I do think that this uh, comment in Theresa May's new book about regretting the term, the hostile environment is really interesting to remind people she once said that the aim is to create here in Britain a really hostile environment for illegal migration 
And it was a statement that has resonated uh, and caused huge division politically and socially across our nation. There are many politicians who have run with it, and I would perhaps suggest that that is the current uh, policy of our of of the current government. But there are others who just find that that kind of division and that sort of um, you know very very provocative and designed to cause conflict. And truthfully, I think that the passages that we are looking at this week are passages that that relate closely to conflict and so you know we're not short are we of of things to look at in society and see where there is conflict but you know for the sake of answering your question and the things that I'm passionate about 872 migrants crossed the English Channel on Saturday it's the most in any one day this year so far and it's taken us well over 20,000 for the year um, the deadline has just passed last week on a government's policy to uh, get Afghan refugees out of the hotels that they've been living in, which has caused many uh, local councils to have to um, declare them homeless so that they can instigate the support that they need to not be destitute. Um I, you know, just locally, and I've I've been talking to some asylum seekers in the hotel here, and about what's happening to them, and it just it breaks my heart, and I find the sort of conflict that that evokes deeply troubling. It's political polarization, it's tension between local government and the Home Office, it's tension between asylum seekers and refugees who are both in great need but are being treated very differently. It's tension between the homeless uh, between British citizens that are in need of housing support and and asylum seekers and and the question that I'm asking is does government policy stoke these conflicts or or seek to bring peace and I'm rather unsubtly I guess giving my perspective on on the answer to that question but like I say this is this is something that I'm just very conscious of we all read the news through a lens and through a filter don't we and it's important to be attentive both to your own filters and what you're not reading um but also to those of the community around you and how they would perceive these issues to be yeah you made my, my brain go all sorts of ways thinking all different things as you're talking about that so i think there's lots of people will be resonating with what you're saying and the concerns that are of your heart will be of others hearts and uh, that term hostile environment I think you could do a lot with that if you couldn't you if you're preaching what kind of environment uh, do we offer as churches um, but thank you for that and I'm sure we might pick up some of those uh, themes again as we uh, think about the readings I'll just add that we're in the church season of creation uh, which runs uh, through the month of September to the 4th of October and that this Sunday the 10th of September is also education Sunday and there are some free resources available for for both Creation uh, Sunday and uh, Education Sunday, either on the JPIT website or on the Churches Together uh, website. So people can go and have a Google and see what they can find. Uh, but the readings for this Sunday, the 10th of September, are Exodus 12, 1 to 14, Romans 13, 8 to 14, Matthew 18, 15 to 20, and Psalm 149. 
that so with our metaphorical newspapers open in one hand that let's open our bibles and steve i wonder if there's a particular passage or a particular theme that you sort of hinted at some of that already but or a question uh, something that you'd like uh, us to begin with this week yeah thanks sally i just to say preaching from the lectionary is an alien concept to me and that's not to say that it is for all Baptists, it really isn't. I know a number of Baptists who really admire and and, and adopt the the preaching from the lectionary uh, pathway. But for me, this is a new idea, and uh, I, I'm conscious of it. I'm aware of why it's a good thing, but I just wanted to preface what I'm about to say with that with that disclaimer, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I found it a really helpful process. I'm not saying I'm ready to jump in both feet every week, but. We've got four really interesting passages here, and truthfully, they probably wouldn't be the passages that I would jump into this week, particularly because of how challenging and how difficult they are. So, you know, we're starting with the Passover. Okay, so we're in uh, Exodus 12, first Passover. Uh, It is the story of God's God's people living in a very hostile environment. (laughs) Let's just be blunt about that that's the context in which they are and um and he is giving instructions as part of the process of of liberating them from this hostile environment very uh, detailed uh, instructions from god about um what is going to happen and there's some really lovely things in there about uh, you know, if a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor. Just the idea of, you know, we're not going to be sharing anything beyond today. So make sure you don't waste it. Get together. If you've got uh, a big lamb, then, you, you know, share it with your neighbors. It's it's stuff about fairness and equality uh, as well. Uh, the proportionate number that are eating it. All of those sort of little details are there. Um, but then it says, obviously, the challenging stuff is I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt from human to animal and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. And that's not an easy thing for us uh, to hear that this is God instituting death on people who perhaps could be seen as innocents. And I'm, I'm not Pursing judgment on this clearly the egyptians were were extremely uh, uh hostile and violent towards their their slaves the, the the israelite people but that is let's just name that that's an uncomfortable thing and then if i skip over the other two go straight to the psalms again we've got this sort of tension between something that is beautiful something that should be celebrated um, you know, let Israel be glad of its maker, let the children of Zion rejoice, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him. There's all these beautiful things. But then at the end, it's sort of saying uh, God will execute vengeance on nations and punishment on people. He will bind their kings and fetters and nobles with chains of iron and execute them on the judgment of their de- that they've decreed. Uh, none of that is comfortable. And um, I think it's just important to name that. Then we've got these other two passages. I so- I'm sorry if I'm going into too much detail here, but I'm just really conscious when I listen to this podcast, I might not have always read the passages first. So I'm trying to uh, be helpful in, in explaining what we're dealing with here. But you've got the Romans passage, which is, probably the one that I would go to um, instinctively, but perhaps not after having read all four of these, loving one another, you know, the the, the commandment to love your neighbour as yourself. Um, and then it just, there's these lovely words just after that, that sometimes we don't focus on, love does no wrong to a neighbour. And I just love holding that up in tension with 
<laughs> what we've just heard in the Passover. How does that sound problematic when you hold it up to the Passover story? Was were the uh, Egyptians the neighbours of the Israelites? Well, maybe not. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. This is about who is out. Who is my neighbour? And Jesus certainly gave some instruction to that. I think most of us would see them as oppressors before neighbours, but maybe this passage challenges us to think that stuff through. And then it goes on to this urgent appeal to be ready because salvation is at hand. And there's this sense of urgency from Paul about about what is about to come. And I love how that that goes side by side to the Passover as well, where people are, you know, told to get ready to eat their food with their sandals on and get ready because now is the time. And I just these things I would not have noticed if it weren't for the lectionary being so wise in the way that it pairs these things up but it also goes on to talk about not quarreling not being jealous make no provision for the flesh just things that are trying to be attentive towards harmony and towards peace over division and then lastly this um, passage in Matthew 18 that is uh, guidance for the church uh, a very practical guidance on conflict and when there is conflict how do you resolve it and again, I don't necessarily think in this context we would go through the detail of of how that works out, because I think you could do a whole sermon on that that's separate from this lectionary stuff. But but it's just reminding us that there is this very practical teaching about what you do when you're in conflict with someone and how you bring resolution to that rather than exacerbate it. So, you know, those are those are our passages. Uh I, I struggle desperately with the bad news of the vengeance of God in some of the passages. Um, I'm really attentive in my preaching to thinking what are the lens through which people are hearing these passages. So if you are going to focus on the Passover, just be conscious of the people in your congregation who might have lost children. I know that sounds like a really practical and obvious thing to say, but Man, we've got to be so careful with 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 how we handle these these passages. But there is huge amounts of good news in all these passages about God's mercy and his grace and his faithfulness towards towards his people, but not just his people. Like I again, it's not part of the reading. I think the I think the Exodus passage finishes before you get to this really interesting bit in verse 38 that refers to the mixed multitudes of those who left Egypt. And I, I think it's just one of those throwaway verses that you sort of think, but but the Passover was not an exclusive right to the Israelites. It was an offer of salvation to all. And actually, it would seem many others left with the Israelites because the option for salvation was an inclusive one that that allowed others to be part of that so i just think that's quite an interesting bit of good news salvation is available to all and but particularly i guess those that are marginalized those that are impoverished those that are oppressed those that are imprisoned um yeah i, I think that's an overview of the passages from my perspective anyway i hope that's i hope that's answered what you what you're getting at I think that's really helpful. And and uh, as you say, lots of things coming out. I wonder, um, I think there's always a temptation, isn't there, as preachers to, um, even those of us who do follow the lectionary when we preach, um, to kind of pick and choose, you know, bits in the passage that we might find 
perhaps easier to preach or less uh, of a challenge to us and to congregations. Um, so particularly that that Exodus reading to kind of focus in your preaching on perhaps uh, the first part of that reading and sort of not focus on the second. I wonder how you you feel about that, about, you know, the temptation to just focus on perhaps the good news in the passage and... Yeah, I mean, it it, it it has to come down to each individual preacher, I guess. I, I, I think tremendous harm can be done by tackling difficult passages badly. And, um, you, you know, so if you choose to focus on the Passover passage as your central passage and you choose to take the ball by the horns and to look at well, why was it that God decided the resolution of this oppression was to was to kill innocent children? You know, um, yeah, yeah. Then, then the answer to that question could be wholly damaging to your congregation. Uh, it's such a sensitive subject. So I'm 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 not advocating that we all just jump in with both feet and try and come up with answers to things that are incredibly complex. Um, but I'd also say that when I first read those passages, I went straight to Romans 13 and love one another, because that's the easy bit, isn't it? That's the bit that is the bread and butter of our faith. But it's in the context of, of suffering that our love is being advocated. And the whole Passover, one of the things that I think is fascinating about the Passover is that it begins in Exodus 3 when the Lord says, I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on the account of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. That's where it begins. And I think sometimes people can look at the Passover and sort of see two sides. You've got the evil Egyptians and the righteous Israelites. God has chosen the Israelites. They're his people. He's on their side. And the, and the Egyptians are the baddies and God is against them. And it's not about that. It is about who are the oppressed? Who are the oppressors? Where is the justice in all of this? So the Passover starts in, in, in Exodus 3 with a God who sees those who are oppressed, those who are suffering, those who are those who are poor. And 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 so I, I think on reflection, I would absolutely um, address the Exodus passage and I would do it side by side, perhaps with the with the Romans passage, um, drawing in some of the I, the Matthew 18 is probably the one that I see less parallels with other than the like I said at the beginning, the, the sense in which this passage is there to, to show an explicit desire to resolve conflict, not to exacerbate it. Um, uh, others may well see things that I haven't seen. I must confess I've not sat down to write a sermon in this yet, so I'm sure there are plenty of other bits. And the, and the, and the Psalm 149, I think, holds some resonance there as well. But I'd probably go Exodus and, and Romans and talk about that relationship between a God who sees the the the, the marginalised and the oppressed, and and this new commandment to love one another, and love does no wrong to a neighbour. I think that is the if I was going to pick one phrase, love does no wrong to a neighbour, is one that I've just not preached on before, and so I always like a new challenge, and I think that that little phrase ties together some of these different things very neatly. What does it mean to do wrong to a neighbour? How does that relate to Egypt? 
you know, I think I'd find that very tempting. And one of the things I love um, about being a preacher and about um, wrestling with text is that, you know, you can look at a text, you can preach on a text a hundred times and you'll have a hundred different sermons. Uh, there's such a richness yeah. in them. And as you say, different people will will pull out different things. And that's uh, one of the great joys of, of our scriptures and, and what we get to do as preachers. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder with that, that challenge of what does it mean uh, to do wrong to a neighbour? Is there any particular um, current political um, avenues you'd want to to pull in? We've talked obviously a bit about um, yeah asylum and and migrants crossing the channel. Um, those kind of obviously seem like yeah. obvious resonance, but maybe not. No, I think I think those things are great examples. But this is what I said at the beginning, that I think there is conflict left, right and centre all over politics and our society at the moment. And to be I, I, I'm not trying to pass the buck here, but I'm trying to say what is right for you to address in your context is not going to be what's right for me to address in my context. And so looking at where there is conflict in your community, looking at where there is conflict in your church, and of course where there's conflict in politics, um, I, I absolutely would want to address that, and that's perhaps where uh, this hostile environment thing I would focus on because I'm just trying to say, look, God was trying to release his people from an extremely hostile environment. Are we really going to advocate for a, a society and a government and the politics that is advocating for us to become a hostile environment. I just, I cannot write those two things next to one another. And therefore, what what is the resolution? What is our approach to those that are marginalised, those in our communities that are being told, you need to move out of your hotel and declare yourself homeless because we're not going to pay for you to live here anymore, despite the fact that you're fleeing war zones. And in the case of the of the um the afghan asylum seekers in many ways were were allies to us were friends to us in a particular time in a particular place and now are becoming ostracized and ex excommunicated from our communities and i i i just i would of course i would get into that and you can hear my tone in that but i also see issues within our churches that are causing huge polarization at the moment and for a number of churches the minister might want to be attentive to to that and trying to say you know what does it mean when um uh which where was it in the, one of the passages that talks oh yeah it's this um this this romans 13 passage that talks about being attentive it says let us walk decently as in the day not reveling in drunkenness and not in illicit sex and licentiousness not in quarreling and in jealousy but instead putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh. I find that a really interesting thing. How much time do we spend in our churches quarrelling over particular issues that ultimately in the cold light of salvation being at hand are not the things that we should be putting our time and energy into. Instead, we should be putting on Jesus, putting on the belt of truth, the righteousness, gospel of peace, shield of faith, is it salvation, sword of spirit, all of that stuff, you know, displaying the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That That is what we're being called to wear and to put on. But instead, we find our ourselves caught in, in, in a culture of conflict that is deeply unhealthy for our communities, deeply health, unhealthy for our uh, uh, church congregations and ultimately not a reflection of the values of the kingdom of God that we began all this with so I think it's just trying to be 
trying to trying to tone hone in on where is the conflict that it, it is helpful for you to speak into when it comes to these passages and i'm i'm really uh love that challenge of of the kind of macro global national picture but that local picture as well um i think that that's a really interesting uh, challenge uh, to a minister to a preacher uh, to be willing uh, to speak into what's happening um, mm. I think often it's perhaps easier to speak nationally or globally or um, on that bigger political uh, uh, stage because it's not necessarily asking people to examine their own hearts. Um, so, mm. yeah, I think that perhaps that that's in some ways more challenging to people. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I wonder if there's any um, particular... Uh, ways that you might think about preaching this if there's any particular imagery or um challenges you might offer to congregations i know you said you've not written your sermon yet but <laughs> no no i'm not actually preaching this on i mean the, the i really miss it i don't if, you, if you're listening to this particularly if you're from a baptist church call me out email me i'd love to do some more preaching but it's not it's not in my diary this week no i so I'm, i won't be preaching this week but and i guess i mean again i think there's that balance between personal preference and and the context of the passages, isn't there? I've always admired people that can preach narratively, but I, I don't know that these passages lend themselves to that. Um, but a better preacher than I would do a much better job than that. I'm I'm certain. I I think I would I would preach it thematically and look at conflict and and like I said and and approach it through through that lens. But that's that's just me. Others will have different approaches. Well, and and that's as we, we've kind of explored a bit uh, already. That kind of that's the joy, isn't it? That we all do things in different ways. Yeah, we've had really, um, I think, good broad ranging conversation. There's been lots of things in there for preachers to to pick up and run with, or to explore in a bit more depth. Um, I always offer at the end, when I feel we're getting towards the end, if there's anything that you really wanted to say, or there's just not <laughs> in the conversation to to bring out, or or just a last thought. Um, yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I, I I don't think so. I think the only thing I would say, I, I've not spoken a whole lot about the psalm, and the psalm is a, a, a beautiful and challenging passage in, in in and of its own right. But there is this phrase in it that I just, again, it, it just seems to, it stood out for me. And so I'm not going to give any commentary to it, I'm just going to say it. But there's this bit in it that says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people he adorns the humble with victory. And in the context of what we're talking about with all of this stuff, I found that word humble just jump out of me because I'm trying to think, is it the humble that are victorious today? And I think even the word humble is, is a word that is that is rich with meaning and in different contexts can be different things. Um, it's not just a position of impoverishment as some people would see neither is it just a sort of attitude of 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 heart that that combats selfishness and and pride i think it's a mixture of a whole number of things but i really love that in this psalm that has so much joy at the beginning and so much wrath at the end that there is this statement that that the lord takes pleasure and adorns hum the humble and I think in whatever context we find ourselves facing conflict, to think about our own humility 
and and what that and how that relates to power um you know i'll talk about this i'm sure on another occasion but i spend a lot of my time thinking about power and what's good about power uh, you know it's theresa may's book called the abuse of power i think i i, I can't, maybe i'm making that up but i i just think there's a lot of stuff in here about power as well my personal view is that power is something that can be abused and can be horrible you know horribly um uh, painful to people but it can also be something that is that is uh that is commissioned and and encouraged by god and and used in the community in the sense of community can be a deeply powerful and and positive thing so anyway just just that little reflection to think about what it means for the humble to to be brought victory i think is something to think about I think that's a, a wonderful place to to finish and uh, brings again just another layer of the richness of the scriptures that we have for this week. So there's lots. And can I also just before we close, just say, um, it's again, it's not something that you're going to do in the next five days if you're preaching this Saturday. But I would deeply commend to you the work of a of a Baptist minister called Helen Painter. Um, she's written a book called God of Violence Yesterday, God of Love Today, wrestling honestly with the Old Testament. And she's created a, a, a whole community of people that look at violence in the Bible. And uh, and if this is something that you find interesting and would like to dig in more, just Google her name and start to look around some of the resources she's got on the web. It's It's been a real blessing to me, I must admit. Well, we always love always love recommendations of, of theologians, of people to go and read to increase our knowledge. So Helen Payton. Helen Painter, P-A-Y-N-T-E-R. Thank you so much. I'm sure uh, many people will be off uh, looking that up now. <laughs> That's great. Um, it's Reverend Steve Painton, uh, Tinning, sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. We uh, really enjoyed hearing your wisdom, your reflections, um, all your thoughts. And we're really looking forward to uh, hearing you uh, hosting the podcast for the next few weeks and uh, uh, chatting with uh, guests and hearing their wisdom. So. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And and Ali, thank you as well, because your commitment to this podcast over the over recent weeks has been second to none. And we're so grateful for your wisdom that you've shared as well. I, I, I hear that this is sounding like everyone just patting each other on the back, but we're so appreciative <laughs> of those who are willing to put themselves forward and, and provide resource and, and gifts to the, to the church in the way that you have. So thank you ever so much. Oh, thanks, Eve. I have to say it's been a real joy to do it and to uh, hear uh, and share with people from all different places and people that I wouldn't have had conversations with otherwise. So it's been, been a real pleasure. Uh, to everybody else who's been uh, listening in or watching uh, to ask those difficult questions of whether we should preach politics in our pulpits this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to share the episode with your friends. We have some online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics. You can find us on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. And we also have a Facebook group and you can access that through the Joint Public Issue Team's Facebook page. And don't forget, of course, the website at jpit.uk. That's J-P-I-T dot U-K. And the question that we're leaving you with from today's episode is what does it mean? to do no wrong to our neighbours. Well, let's go into our politics and our pulpits with a blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen.